Hey everyone, this is Kiara from the Dime Dropper production team, and we'd like to apologize for the poor quality of Lucas's mic during some parts of the episode. We promise that these technical difficulties won't happen again in the future. And with that being said, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy. What's going on, guys? Welcome to my fifth episode of Dime Dropper. Before we get started, as always, make sure to follow us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Dime Dropper Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, Dime Dropper Podcast. For today's episode, we're going to talk about the game last night, the Clipper-Laker game, but I'm also joined by a special guest, one of my best friends, New York native and Knicks fan, Lucas Lyon. We're going to get into all things Knicks, including their new hire at head coach and their history, among other things as well, including life on both coasts, since both of us have both lived on both coasts. So without further ado, Lucas, thanks for joining me, man. Thank you, Darian. It's a pleasure. Uh, this is a... Uh... This has been a long time in the making, so it's it's good to see you, good to see you working and hustling. Oh yeah, man, I miss you, bro. It's been a, it's been yeah. a minute since <laughs> I've seen you. A period. A yeah. So let's just start with the game last night. Obviously, everyone knows I haven't been too enthusiastic about the GSL, and um, you know it wasn't bad yesterday for the regular season. I don't mind for the regular season. It's the playoffs that's more of my issue with just the product itself. But it was a good game. Of course, the Clippers were short-handed. We came up a little short. Had opportunities to win the game, but uh, how much did you catch of the game last night? I mean, I watched the end. Uh, it's 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 nice to see that players are trying and players are really working hard right now. I think it's it's refreshing for them to be back on the court, and it looks like that. Uh, it was also nice to see, you know, I mean, Anthony Davis. He he looks like he's the best player on the Lakers. I mean, and no no disrespect to LeBron, but like, you know, this is LeBron's team, but Anthony Davis is the is is the man doing everything. And I've been saying this all season long and it's it's just dumb like it's just dumbfounds me that when i heard the names of like who the media is kind of putting up for the mvp yeah and i heard Giannis and lebron i was thinking to myself like i've watched every laker game like i would honestly put ad in that conversation as well because of what he does on both ends but once again it kind of goes back to that last episode i did when i've gotten really good feedback on it by the way guys so thanks keep giving me feedback but that, you know, the media kind of puts these agendas up, and uh, I don't think Anthony Davis has gotten nearly enough credit all season. Definitely. I mean, in a previous pod, you said, you talked about how Anthony Davis gets the the most nonchalant 40, just whenever he plays. He can step on the, he can step on the floor, 35, 40 points, 14 boards. It's just who he is as a player, and unfortunately, with players like that, when they play with LeBron, they're always overshadowed by his presence. And, you know, I know Anthony Davis wants a ring. I know he's not chasing the superstardom. But, I mean, if Anthony Davis wants to be an MVP, if he wants to be looked at as a top five player in the league, top maybe even three player in the league right now, he, I mean, maybe he needs to part ways with LeBron somewhere down the road. It just depends on what his goals are. But Yeah, and I know. just think that it shouldn't have to be that way because he should be getting credit for what he's doing right now. He shouldn't need to have to leave to go seek approval. I don't think he honestly cares much. I think he's, sure. he knows what's going on. And, he, you know, if he wins the the thing is with the playoffs is that all the fans are going to be watching all the games. So it's going to be pretty evident for everyone to see unless you're just blinded by bias. If AD continues to, you know, play the best in the Lakers like we saw last night. Definitely. To see, you know, that he could be the finals MVP if they win. But also... It's also the matchup with us is that LeBron, we have a lot of guys that we can throw on LeBron. 
like size wise that match up with him quickness yeah. wise. Whereas Anthony Davis, I mean, you could say this about every team in the league, but we really don't have anyone that can match up with him. And I think the Lakers did an amazing job last night. I've been saying this this whole season. If, if when the Lakers play us, you need to force feed AD. The whole thing oh, has course. been who's going to guard AD. Well, you guys have. The Lakers have bailed us out as the defense by not force-feeding him sometimes. you got to go to him early and often, and that's what the Lakers did last night. And as a result, first quarter, they were up by 12. So th- we that's what they need to keep doing. Keep force-feeding the mismatch, and that's the mismatch. That's the thing. In, in, in the league nowadays, there are – I don't know if there's really anyone that can guard AD one-on-one. Yeah, you know, I agree. Um, I think the Clippers, like you said, they match up well with LeBron. I mean, you can throw Kawhi on him. You can throw PG on him. And they'll do a good enough job containing him. But with Anthony Davis, he can he's dangerous from so many spots on the floor. He can pass, he can shoot, he can post up, he's he's good without the ball. You know, he's he's a very, very smart player and he's very skillful, and that's really, really difficult to guard, especially for any team in the league, but especially for a team like the Clippers. Yeah, and I think one one encouraging sign, though, that we saw from the Clips last night was no fans PG, as I'm starting to call him right now, because without the fans and the pressure lifted, he looked like arguably our best player last night. Yeah. He was fantastic. Something interesting, I was, I was you know, I forgot who said this, but someone said that it's easier to shoot in the bubble league because of the depth perception, because there's no, because there's no, there's, uh, there's no fans or anything, so it's easier to, it's just easier to shoot. So I'm interested to see how going forward how that's going to impact players' ability to score, because just the the level of playing without fans and how that influences their game will be will be really interesting to see because a lot of these players haven't played without fans probably since AAU ball. Yeah, and I think PG. That was such an encouraging sign to see him hit like that. Uh, I thought there was a lot of rust around a lot of guys um, on both sides. Definitely more so us. I think that the Lakers came in a little more prepared for this game. I mean, obviously we're missing big pieces. But uh, Marcus was on a minute restriction. Yeah. Pat Bev was on minute restriction. I think Dion Waiters and Kyle Kuzma were really standouts last night for me, for the Lakers. Both ends of the floor. I had Again, the last time we played it, we played the Lakers, he did the same thing. Kyle Kuzma on defense has really turned it up a notch against the Clippers. And props to him. And he was 4 of 7 from deep. Yeah. Like If he can play like that... The Lakers have a strong chance of taking this thing. I mean, everyone knew from from the beginning, you know, the, the, from the beginning of the season that the Lakers had a strong chance of going all the way. And then, you know, fortunately, LeBron is a good leader. And LeBron is arguably the best player of our generation. You know, and in certain situations, he does make players better. And in certain situations, he, not just on the floor, but off the floor. And I think that that's something he's brought to the Lakers, and I think that's something that shows in the younger players is that you know younger players don't know how to carry themselves, and they don't know how to operate off the court. They don't know how to operate in practice. And having a figure like LeBron there shows them how they can truly be the best player they can be both on and off the floor. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to learn from, from people like that with so much experience. And I think at the end of the game, obviously... You know, we, we, we got it close. Um, the rest of the team outside of PG and Kawhi, by the way, I wrote an article on this game. Go visit Overtime Heroics to see it. Um, but, um, yeah, we were, the rest of the team outside of Kawhi and PG was 14-41 of 41 last night. So that's not going to get the job done. It obviously has to do with some rust. I mean, Shamit had some good looks. And when, once again, it was kind of back to my point of, in the podcast yesterday. Shamit, not, no pun intended, 
was put in a bubble or a box a little bit. He only got catch and shoot looks. So yeah. like to me, when you have four months off and you're strictly shooting catch and shoot, I don't care if you're. I mean, unless you're like Reggie Miller or something. Yeah. Like, you know, this it's a very strong chance that you can, you know, not hit. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, unfortunately, they the the first game had to be Lakers versus Clippers. You know, just just for just to attract the fans and just to really get the attention that that they 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 really really need right now. However, you know, the, neither of these teams were really playing at their absolute best. Yeah, and when the Clippers are playing at their absolute best, I mean, you've seen it this season. They, they possibly are a better team than the Lakers and you know they are really well coached they're really well oiled and you know I know come playoff time in this in this you know GSL as you're calling it um come playoff time the Clippers are going to be a huge huge factor and they're going to be a huge nightmare for a lot of teams especially the Lakers yeah I think um that last couple minutes props to LeBron you know I got on him a lot that was here's also a thing people need to realize he played good defense last night. Obviously, you know, we all know he was using some hands. But at the end of the game, you're not going to call that as a ref, and I respect it because yeah. LeBron, I'm going to be – see, the thing about me is I'm going to be impartial. Marcus Morris hand-checked LeBron on the on the shot that he missed that he followed up his own miss with. So the refs were consistent. They didn't give the call to the Clippers. They shouldn't have. Um, but, like, people saying, like, you know, LeBron can lock up co after a couple possessions last night. I mean – Sure, if you want to say that. I mean, when he wasn't using hands in the beginning of the game, he got blown by it, but it's okay. I just don't like – LeBron can do his thing. He plays good defense. I like to see the effort. That's the biggest yeah. thing. But people acting like he's freaking Scottie Pippen today, and that shit's annoying. The thing, <laughs> the thing about LeBron is LeBron can do whatever he wants. He can – if he wants to go out, go out on the floor and for whatever the 40, 35 to 45 minutes he's on the floor, play lockup defense, he can. But he doesn't. That's not that's not what LeBron wants to do. LeBron wants to you know control the game, get everyone kind of involved. He, he's a little bit of a liability on defense, like you said. Kawhi blows by him if he's not using hands. I mean, yeah. I think Kawhi will blow by anyone honestly with, sure. when they're not hand check. I mean, it's just it's so hard to stay in front of guys last night, and that just goes to show. I mean, we're gonna talk about it more as as we go on, but last night the game, like the refs. And it's not even the rest. These are just the NBA rules now. Because yeah. the Clippers and the Lakers, when they play each other, they play really hard. Yeah. So when that happens, there's going to be a lot of context. It's going to be a physical game. And in today's rules, that physicality has been kind of phased out. And Definitely. a lot of those are just fouls in today's NBA. The interesting thing about the Lakers and the Clippers is I think there's there's two things going on. One, it's it's, it's the battle for L.A. And the Clippers are really trying to – I mean, you if you drive around L.A., you see that there's billboards that say, like, streetlights over Yeah, a lot of – I've noticed that, know? too. A lot more and, Clipper advertising. And – Clippers advertising isn't in Hollywood. It isn't in, you know, Beverly Hills. Clippers advertising are in communities that aren't that aren't in the spotlight of LA. Where you when you think of LA, you don't think of Inglewood. You don't think of, you know, the south side of LA. You don't think of East LA. And that's what the Clippers are trying to market towards. And so there's this battle for for LA. And then the other thing is is LeBron is trying to prove that he is a Laker. Because as like Rami and, and and Nick said on 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 you know when you when you brought them on, LeBron hasn't really been fully accepted as a Laker, and LeBron's here trying to say I am a Laker, and he's trying to say that I am a Laker great, and LeBron's great. I love LeBron, but he's not a Laker great. When I think of LeBron, when I think of the great Lakers, 
LeBron doesn't even come in my top 10. And that is because he hasn't played in the playoffs yet. He hasn't played now, in the playoffs Now, if he wins yet. a championship, though, that's going to propel him tenfold, even as a Laker to me. I think so, but I still wouldn't, I still wouldn't put him over, you know, I wouldn't put him over, obviously, Kobe, Shaq, Magic, Kareem, Worthy. Um, I mean, even if you go so far back, you, you say, like, Elgin Baylor, you know, these people... But Elgin Baylor never won a ring for the Lakers. Would you put LeBron over him if he did? James Worthy is an interesting one because he was the third option on his teams, and people argue. Le well, the thing is, we don't even know if LeBron's gonna be the number one player on this team if they win. He's already not. That's the thing. It's LeBron's the face of the team. But that's that, that's just for see for I agree with you hundred percent. But that's just you and me's like our opinion. Yeah. A lot of people think LeBron's still the best player on this team. What do you think of that? I mean, I think I think it's okay to not be the best player on the team. I agree. He is LeBron is exiting his prime. Now is the time for LeBron to say, I am not the best player on the team, and I need to stop acting like I am. That was what led to Carmelo Anthony's downfall, and that's why he was out of the league for so long. Because Melo could not accept that he wasn't, that, that he was phasing into a role player. And I'm not, I'm not saying LeBron's phasing into a role player, but LeBron's moving to where CP3 is now. Where CP3 is not necessarily a superstar. Chris Paul is now, you know, a very, very valuable asset to a team, which we'll, we'll get to later. But a very valuable asset to a team, can provide a lot, and can provide a lot on the floor, and more importantly, off the floor. But do you think, Le well, would you say LeBron, I would still say LeBron's a superstar, even oh, though, of course. yeah, uh -huh. even though he's, LeBron's like, Chris Paul's, a, Chris Paul's like a star still, he's yeah. not a superstar anymore. No, but LeBron needs to accept that, that his role is changing, and that he needs, to, he needs to feed more towards making Anthony Davis, proving that Anthony Davis is Arguably the best player in the league. And I, to end on the Lakers and the Clippers, I completely, I could not agree more because, in my opinion, if LeBron actually, you know, took it off, like, you know, backed up a little bit, said, you know, AD, I'm going to let you fly, I'm going to be your secondary yeah. guy, I honestly, and they win the championship, even if LeBron doesn't win finals MVP, I honestly think that would increase his argument to, like, in that conversation I was talking about, the GOAT, whatever, so much because I think one of the biggest things about the greats of all time. Of course, people always look at Jordan and like Bill Russell, who were like just kind of always the best player on their teams. Yeah. But there's a lot of stars, if you look at the all time, that weren't always the best player on the team. And I think sometimes one of the big parts about a star in basketball is recognizing when it's your time and when it's not. And I think the perfect example of someone who did that so well was Kareem. Because when Magic first got there, Kareem was the best player in the NBA. And as time went on, the Magic Man started becoming arguably the best player in the NBA, and he took that back seat, and the proof is in the pudding with five rings. And, yeah. you know, and... I mean, when Magic arrived, Kareem was arguably the best player to ever step on the floor. Exactly. Forget, forget best player on the team. I mean, I mean, when you, when you look at, you know, basketball in the 1980s, particularly like the Lakers, like prior to then, you know, there was, there was nobody, nobody that, that, that played like Kareem. I and mean, Kareem was... A player like him was unheard of. I've never, even today though, I'm watching this footage, I've never seen anything like this guy. I mean, Ever. I've never seen anything like this. He's, there's nothing he couldn't do. And, and so when Magic came, you know, they, and they were a phenomenally coached team. And that's something that, that's something that's really important. And that's also an issue about LeBron that I have, is LeBron's not the most coachable player. And when you insert yourself as the head of the team above the coach, there's going to be an issue. Yeah, I agree. When you look at successful teams, you look at the Lakers with Kobe and and Powell saw that that won those two rings. You know, 
Phil was the leader of the team. Yeah, even with Kobe and Shaq. All of Kobe and Jordan's rings came with some structure with Phil. Phil was the leader of the team. When you look at, you know, even, even the Knicks in the 90s, Jeff Van Gundy was the leader of the team. Off the floor, he was the leader of the team, and it was his philosophies that got the Knicks to where they were. And Riley before. And Riley, Kobe. exactly. Yeah. You know, so, so you have, you have to look at how players interact with their coaches and how they work with the system. If LeBron doesn't like a system, Lebr everyone says LeBron is the system. But that's not the way it works. I know, I agree. If LeBron wants a coach, go be a coach. You know, <laughs> yeah. retired coach, you know? If you want to be a coach, do that. But, you know, he wants, you know, he wants to do both, and he doesn't want to be told he's LeBron and he thinks he's the greatest player to ever play, and he's going to act like that. And like, like you said in your pod last week and like you've been posting on your Instagram, you know, that's not what the greatest player of all time does. Yeah. So now we're going to segue into the Knicks, and they just recently hired Tom Thibodeau. Of course, the Knicks haven't made the playoffs for seven years, and the the, the new millennium for them has been an atrocity. I mean, they've become the old... They Really, I, I hate to say this, but they're becoming the new Clippers at this point. And obviously, without, minus you know the fact they have history, but in the current standing of the team, they're talked about the same way the Clippers are. Oh, the Clippers will never be good. The Knicks will never be good. I mean... You say the new Clippers, but the Clippers have, over the past 20 years, the Clippers have been a better team than the Knicks have. Facts. The Clippers were better when, when you guys had, like, like um, Elton Brand. They were better when you guys had CP3 and, and Blake Griffin. The Clippers have had more success than the Knicks have. We made, we've won one playoff series in the last, like, 20 years. Yeah. You know, the thing I love about this Thibodeau hype, you know, it was it was between Thibodeau and Kenny Atkinson, and then there was something that like the Thibodeau contracts were falling through, and suddenly Jason Kidd was the front runner, allegedly. And I was shaking in my boots because I do did not want Jason Kidd anywhere near the Knicks, because when when you have someone like Jason Kidd who kind of markets himself as this Giannis whisperer, and Giannis is a free agent. Then we're gonna run into the same thing we had. Where oh, we're getting we're getting Kevin Durant, or it's gonna be oh, we're getting Giannis, and there's no way Giannis will ever step foot near the Knicks. With Thibodeau, he has a history of winning. He has a history in New York because he was Jeff Van Gundy's assistant from '96 to 2003. Damn, I didn't even know that. He was an assistant in Boston, and it was his defensive it was his defensive schemes that helped win them a ring. He is an incredible player development coach. When when Larry Johnson came to came to the Knicks in the late nineties, he, he had his back injury and the Knicks were stacked at power forward. And Tom Thibodeau worked with him to make that transition from a four to a three. And that team, that ninety eight team, or that ninety nine team went to went to the went finals. to the finals that year. And that was a big part because of, of Thibodeau. And and Mike Malone was also an assistant coach on that team. Um, he is a, a proven quality coach. And the other thing I like about him, and the thing that I really appreciate about how the Knicks are operating now versus uh, any time in the last 20 years, is one, they're giving him full autonomy with his coaching staff. James Dorn has taken a step back. He hired Leon Rose because he knows Leon Rose is a no-bullshit guy. Leon Rose will not put up with James Dolan acting like he did when Donnie Walsh was trying to get mellow, and James Dolan was like, actually, let's just throw all our team at Denver. 
and completely screwed us. Leon Rose will say, you know what? Fuck this. I'm walking. So who's Leon Rose? The GM? He's, he's, he's the president. President? Uh, okay, President Basketball. Basically. President of Basketball Operations? President of Basketball okay. Operations. So he's making all the decisions, essentially. He's making all the decisions. Then he hired William Wesley and as the, I believe, vice president. And then he hired Scott Perry as a GM. And the thing about Leon Rose is that Leon Rose started CAA. And he was Tom Thibodeau's agent. He was Chris Paul's agent. William Leslie worked, was uh, um, often associated with LeBron. Uh, a funny story about him is that he, when LeBron was in high school, William Leslie became friends with LeBron's mom's boyfriend. So he could get close to LeBron. Wow. And so having people like that in our front office for the first time in a long time, having people that are going to act with, with vigor and gumption when it comes to attracting players. So this Leon Rose, he just got hired this offseason? Yes. So let's, let's just go through the squad. What do, you think of this, what do you think of the squad right now? So, I mean, the, the, the future of the squad is R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. So what do you think, what do you think of Mitchell Robinson, R.J., Alonzo Trier, Alonzo Trier, and I want. Oh, you got rid of him, didn't you? Yeah, okay. So, we forgot what the guy's name was, but we picked him up from from the Nets, but he's gonna be waived too. So let's say okay, R.J., Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson, um, and Frank Nilakina. I want you to give me all your thoughts on them. Who should stay? Who should go? Should they all stay? Go for it. So I don't watch that many Knicks games. Like I'm not gonna front. Kevin Knox has he has a season left. All, all you know. He's going through growing pains. You know, one of the things, well, one of the things, like, I, I really have never respected David Fisdale as a coach, but the thing that really made me lose respect for him was when he said, our biggest opponent is Fortnite. Because players were staying up too late playing Fortnite and showing up to practice too tired. And, you know, that's just complete bullshit. Like, like get your team together, you know? Make sure that, like, these guys are, these guys are paying, being paid millions of dollars to play basketball. And you can't even tell them to fucking go to bed early. And he had no control over the team. Nobody had any control over these players. And Kevin Knox is a player that needs structure. He has so much potential. And I know he's very talented. But he has, he, if he doesn't get his act together this season, he's gone. I know, I know, I know Thibodeau's going to be like, you're done. You're gone. Frank Nilakina is going to flourish under Thibodeau. If you if you've seen his like FIBA highlights and stuff, he's straight clamps. I mean, he locked up Kemba when 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 France beat 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 the U.S. Locked up Kemba. I mean, Kemba couldn't do anything on him. He was scoring on him. He if you watch his um, how he plays defense on players like Kyrie and stuff, he is a phenomenal defensive point guard. But he hasn't had the coach to push him in that direction. Now I think Thibodeau. If you look at, at, at uh, Chicago, Thibodeau loves point guards. He loves point guards off the bench, and he knows how to use them. He knew how to make, you know, you knew how to find the value in players like Nate Robinson and John Lucas III. TJ, uh, what's his name? CJ Watson? CJ Watson, exactly. And so I think Frank Nilakina is going to step into that role as the point guard, is going to step into that role as the point guard of the second unit. Or, and then be inserted late in games, depending on who we get in the draft and who, what happens in the offseason, but be inserted late in games to be thrown on whoever it may be, whether it's Kyrie, Paul George, Kawhi. He can hang with these people, and he knows how to make the right defensive plays, and it's not just that he's, 
He doesn't hand check. He knows how to make smart defensive plays, and he plays defense intelligently. What about uh, RJ? People have been a little critical. He hasn't really, you know, taken off with flying colors this season to the to people. RJ, okay, so RJ has the makings of a star. And RJ is one day, maybe not this season, but maybe next season, you know, is he's going to be the leader of this team. And the important thing is getting a coach and a coaching staff around him that's going to show him how to become a star and getting other players that are going to come in and show him how to be a star. And one of the things that the Knicks are, something that's rumored is the Knicks are going to go after Chris Paul. And this is a really smart thing because Chris Paul and Leon Rose have a, rela a relationship. So for the first time, the Knicks front office looks attractive to people. Also, Chris Paul's contract is just bad. I, I mean, OKC's, they're paying him $80 million over the next two years. They're going to want to get rid of that contract. It's, I feel like especially if they do well in the, in, in, in the bubble league. Because now they look attractive. And so then they get rid of $40 million a year, they can sign other players. The Knicks, we have the money. We're not actively trying to make the playoffs. We're just trying to grow our team. So if you get a player like Chris Paul in there, who can show someone like RJ how to go from a rookie with, with the assets and with the skill to a leader of a team. I mean, he will be, I, I know RJ will be an all-star sometime in his career. Wouldn't, wouldn't you have to trade for CP though? Because well, it depends because because Chris Paul's contract is bad. It's just it's just a bad contract. You think they'll buy him out? That's what the Knicks want to do. Yeah, but there's no way after this season OKC is gonna buy out Chris Paul. It it just it also depends on the how the how the bubble league goes. Right now OKC looks fantastic. So, you know, if if they end further than they anticipated, I don't know if Chris Paul will leave, and I don't know if they'd want to get rid of him. But if they if they end kind of middle of the pack. And they say, okay, we have, you know, $40 million that we can spend elsewhere. You know, other players are coming on free agency. And Chris Paul is going to be like 37, I think, at the end of his contract or something. So he's going to be old. And they're going to say, well, spending $80 million on a guy that's going to retire soon. And we might not win a championship with him, but we can get more for him. Yeah. It might make sense. Maybe. Like I said, the Knicks have the money. And we're not actively going for a championship right now. The other thing that they're looking at is, I know Zach Levine is a potential target. Um, people have been talking about Fred Van Vliet. And these would be, these would be longer contracts, probably like five-year contracts. Um, and you surround players like that that have more experience in the league and more experience kind of stepping into the role of you know, stepping out of a rookie role and more into a leader of a team, more into this is how you, you know, Fred Van Vliet would be great because, you know, he won a title. And I think Zach Levine's emerging into a really, really uh, fantastic player. And I think RJ just needs a year or two. He's, he's only like 20 years old. I mean, you do sound pretty optimistic, which is good. Um, so what do you think of the... This Knicks had a bunch of power forwards this year. Do you need that to be a little bit more restructuring of the team? So, most of those players were signed to one-year contracts. Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson, Marcus Morris is on the Clippers now. Yeah. Um, Mo Harkless is like a stretch four in today's NBA. So, Bobby Portis is gone. Okay. We signed him to a one-year contract. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, 
Taj Gibson's old. Taj Gibson's staying. But you like him? I love Taj Gibson. Okay. I, I, I want to fuck with Taj. He went to USC and fuck with him. I think the thing that's gonna be great about Taj is that he's been a mentor figure to. That's one of those guys you're talking about. Older. Yeah. He's been there and, in playoffs. And he's someone that succeeded very, very well in Tom Thibodeau's system in Chicago. And he played. On, I'm pretty sure he was on Minnesota yeah, too. Exactly. Yeah. And so he was. I mean, Taj Gibson looked fantastic. I remember watching those those playoff series, and I mean, he was electric. You know, he he'd do something. He knew how to operate in that system, and that's gonna be really great for Mitchell Robinson, especially. And I know that Mitchell Robinson has already improved because of Taj Gibson's presence. So I really like him, and he's not—he's also not there to play. He's not like, oh, I need to play 30 minutes a game. Oh, I need to do this. He's just there because he knows his presence is needed for practice. His presence is needed for off the court. His presence is needed to help guide younger players in a position when they are during games and. I know that he's gonna really help Tom Thibodeau going forward these next few years. What um, is Alfred Payton still on the Knicks? Yeah, but he's gone. Okay, for sure. Yeah. So I like him. And then, and then there's and then there's Dennis Smith Jr. Oh yeah. Um, people are wondering about him. What's what's so going on? What happened? I mean, I mean, how many games? Like, do you watch a lot of Knicks games? Like, do you regularly watch these games? Yeah, pretty consistently. Okay, that's good. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. He his stepmom died this year, Sad. so there's a bit of an there's a bit of a decline, and. You know, he wasn't, he didn't live up to the potential that he showed when he was in Dallas. And I believe that he is a quality player. And I think that he has the makings of a, of a point guard that Tom Thibodeau could really work with. He's explosive. He can't really shoot. You know, he, he can't really do much. But if he can learn how to operate in this system, then he'll be good. But I think... I think he'll probably be gone by by the also by whenever the trade deadline is for next season. I think he's done. So the big year next year for the Knicks in terms of bus territory. Kevin Knox. Uh, we have what's his name? We were just talking about Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, R.J. Barrett still deserves a couple more years. Um, uh, RJ's, RJ's not going to be a bus. Okay. Gar- guaranteed, R.J.'s not going to be a bus. Kevin Knox, Mitch, not Mitchell Robinson. Kevin Knox and yeah. Frank Milikina, people are starting to say, but I guess we'll give him one more year. Well, Frank, Frank, okay, the thing about Frank is that he wasn't, David Fizzle didn't know how to coach. And he didn't know how to use Frank to, you know, to his advantage. And he also wouldn't let the young guys play. He just, he'd see them playing and then whatever, they'd, they'd make mistakes, they'd do well, and he'd, he'd pull them out and restructure the, restructure the lineup. And then, I don't know what the fuck would happen. So let's segue into something different, a little bit non-basketball. So you're someone who I met in elementary school when you had just kind of moved from New York. I went out and lived in Massachusetts for three years. We both lived on both both coasts. So what what was one of the big things you noticed when you first moved? Like this is different, or was it all kind of the same? So when when I was a kid, like my school just had like this kind of like big concrete or big brick. Area for us to play in. In my first school I went to, I went to school in Hancock Park. Um, there was like this big field and handball course and all this shit, and there was none of that. Like New York, they don't, they just don't have the space for that. So a lot of buildings are like, all the schools are in like kind of big buildings and stuff. And obviously the weather. Yeah. You come out here and and the weather is gorgeous, and you know you don't really have bad weather days. Um, you know. And then I guess the other thing about 
LA's a lot calmer than, than the East Coast. I mean, I don't know what it's like in Amherst, but... Well, Amherst is a college town, but, like, Boston is, like, I want to say it's definitely not the hectic of New York whatsoever, but it's, like, it's it's a small city, and there's a lot happening in that small city. L.A.'s gigantic, you know? Exactly. Chicago, New York, I mean, New York City is boroughs, but, like, L.A., Chicago, London, like, the, those those are big cities I've been to that are just fucking massive. Oh, yeah, and, and, and I think that, like, L.A. is an anomalous city. You know, L.A., you can kind of get everything... And you can, and especially just California. I mean, California is a place where you can go to the beach, the desert, and the mountains in the same day. And that's something that's kind of unheard of to, to anyone from the East Coast, especially in New York. You know, in New York, you're like, going to the beach is, is a huge fucking deal. You know, you gotta, you gotta take a couple trains, you know, I mean, or you just, if you, I mean, if you live in the city, you take like the D train all the way down to Coney Island, you know, I mean... You know, but everything is so, you know, everything's so congested in, this, in, in New York. And, you know, there isn't much, you know, there isn't much diversity as to, like, the, just the actual, like, landscape of, of the city as there is to L.A. And another thing, one thing I also noticed about the East Coast mentality compared to the West Coast, at least this is an L.A. thing. I don't know if it's all of California, but in the East Coast, it's a little more... People have a little more, you know, this is the way it has to be. When you leave college, you got to get a job. You're going to build your way up the system, or build your way up the ladder, and this and that. And in L.A., you have a lot of dreamers. You have a lot of, I can be whatever I want. I can run into I can run into a little baby at on a restaurant and, you know, get his number and shit. Maybe st- stuff will change for me. Like you have those type of people that are like, and that's actually something I like to an extent because... I believe, I mean, I used to have this mentality that, like, you know, you got to be realistic, but, like, fuck realistic. Like, a lot of shit happens that you don't expect in life. You know what I mean? Like, and you just got to... I think that California, since it's kind of, like, since, since like, California first became a state, really, has been this opportunistic state. Yeah. People came to California to find gold. Who knew if they were going to fucking find gold, you know? But, but they, they fucking came all the way across from from wherever they were you know they they risked dying to come here to maybe find gold and now people you know from all over the world think oh i want to be a fucking actor oh i want to be a musician i'm gonna go rough it out in la and there's a sense of like oh it's la anything can happen and in east coast cities and bigger metropolitan cities People are a little more realistic in in the fact that they they just you see people grinding more, Definitely. and you see the hustle and bustle of, of life. And like I said, and everything about LA is like movie esque. The weather is perfect. You know the you know you can there's there's Hollywood, there's Beverly Hills, the you beach, know, the beach Santa, Monica. Santa Monica. Like everything about LA is like you know really nice and especially seeming to like people that aren't from LA and I think when you come to LA you know there's a shock that oh shit LA is outrageously expensive too yeah oh shit LA is not clean you know Hollywood's a fucking dirty mess you know and traffic is terrible traffic is terrible and I'm not saying LA is bad but I think that they're you know people have higher expectations for what the city is and you know I think growing up I grew up most most of my life I spent out here. And I think that there is a wonderful thing about Los Angeles because you're right, your dreams can come true here. You know, you can 
meet someone at a coffee shop and you know get a job in a studio you know you it is you can theoretically get connected in certain industries and and you can get your foot in the door in LA you know easier than maybe anywhere else in the world but I think LA kind of holds this like false reality and New York Boston Chicago you kind of associate these cities more with with reality and what life is like. And I also think that's also because of the culture that comes out of those cities. The music that comes out of Chicago, the music that comes out of New York. Um, you know, you you look at like the, the famous ass people that come out of New York, you look at like Jay-Z, Biggie, Wu-Tang. Um, these are all people that have had to struggle in their lives. And these are all people that have had to do anything they possibly can to survive and you know in LA it's Hollywood but what about playing devil's advocate what about I mean it's not like there's not bad and tough neighborhoods in Los Angeles like you know you have NWA that were like famous for yeah all that but but LA isn't the nitty-gritty that's the thing New York is the nitty-gritty Chicago is the nitty-gritty LA isn't yeah Definitely and not, NWA, that's not our, that's not our um, and NWA, image. NWA countered that image. They said, fuck that. California isn't, you know... All sunshine and roses? Yeah, exactly. LA is fucking Compton. LA is South Central. LA yeah. is, you know, downtown LA. Um, you know, you look at, like, even Northern California, you look at, like, San Francisco. San Francisco is so romanticized. But San Francisco's has a huge homeless problem. Oakland and Richmond, those are all cities that are riddled with violence. Rich what? Richmond. <laughs> if you, uh, shout out to anyone who knows uh, Coach Carter. Uh, great movie. But, um, you know, there's, there's a different culture associated with the cities. And I think that, you know, when, I also think that when people move to New York, especially, people kind of expect to, like, not be living lavishly. I think people expect because you know new york's expensive you know anyone who moves to new york or you know they're probably living in an apartment with neighbors with with like roommates and stuff and you know that you're probably not going to be able to afford to live in soho or you're not going to be able to afford to live in chelsea or downtown but people come to la and they think oh i can afford to live in hollywood you know oh i can afford to live in santa monica and then you realize it's three thousand dollars a month for a studio and and then you're you know, and then you're moving farther and farther south and farther and farther east. And, you know, now you run into the issues of, like, gentrification and these issues that are really plaguing L.A. And, you know, you have a huge homeless issue here as well. And now these people are being kind of pushed out of the neighborhoods where they've lived their entire lives. So to also talk about um, someone, you know, I kind of want to have just to pay tribute a little bit to every person from LA that I know is a fan or that, you know, we mm-hmm. talked about at length. Um, you were somebody that when I first met you said that I don't love the Lakers, but I'm a big Kobe Bryant fan. I remember you saying that. So obviously this year has been really hard for everybody. Yeah. Uh, just talk me through that, man. So I was, I got in a, I got in a car accident. I went with my cousin to, to a junkyard so we could fix my car up. And so we could get like parts and stuff. And my phone was kind of blowing up. I think it was, I think it was like the group chat we're in. And it was like, Kobe's dead. And I was like, what the fuck? No, he's not. Like, there's no way. Like, Kobe, 
in my head, I'm like, Kobe doesn't die. Yeah, he's just an, you know, someone, one of those invincible guys. And and oh, and then and then there was like shit. People were saying that like all of his daughters were on the on the helicopter, and I'm like, no, Kobe doesn't die. And you know, I the first jersey I had was a Kobe number eight jersey that my mom gave me, and you know. Kobe was such an integral aspect of my life. Not just basketball, but just like, you know, New York loves good athletes. And New York loved Kobe Bryant. You know, you watch like Kobe always showed out at the guard. You know, before he, before him and Spike did the uh like the Kobe doing work, I think he dropped like forty five or something. No, nah, like he had a 60. game where he dropped yeah, like sixty he or something. 60. Like that, something like that. Yeah, he dropped sixty because, you know, he was like, I'm not I'm not gonna fucking have a bad game. And then go work with Spike Lee after, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck shit up and then, you know, go talk shit with Spike. You know, but then you grow up with Kobe's coming to the garden, you know, and you know he's gonna show up. And, you know, just the way Jordan did. You knew Jordan's coming to the garden, Jordan's gonna fucking put on a show. Jordan's gonna drop 40, he's gonna drop 50, he's gonna, you know, something magical's gonna happen. And that was Kobe. And, and there's a level of greatness that can't be denied and needs to be accepted and respected everywhere they go, and Kobe's one of those players. Yeah, I agree. And a lot of things I just learned to talk about what you said, not even basketball-related, is like, one, you know, he didn't just say he worked hard. You saw it. You saw how hard he worked. And he didn't make excuses, and he just... He just gave it his all when the pressure was at its highest, and for me, I respect that. I just respect athletes or people... I mean, athletes, since, you know, this is a sports podcast, but like that don't just talk, really walk the walk and play as hard as they say they're going to play. And Kobe was so consistent about that. And I, I really appreciate getting to watch him for so many years. And yeah, I just love asking people about what they think. So now we're going to go into something else. Um, when 2K12 came out, you and I had this huge thing about. We need to unlock all these classic teams because that's the first time they had the classic throwback teams in the game. They had so so in two K eleven they introduced like the Jordan team. Yeah. And then and then you could unlock all of Jordan's teams and then all of the like the the, the team that played against him. So like when you played you played the ninety ninety one, you know Lakers. Lakers and you'd unlock the Lakers. But then they just have their starting five and then the bench would be fake players. And so 2K12 was the first time they fucking had, like, just other OG teams. They had, you know, I think they had, like, the Bill Russell Celtics and the Jerry West uh, Lakers and... The Showtime Lakers, too? They had the Showtime Lakers. They had the Knicks. They had, uh, they had the Knicks, the, the Magic, Rockets. the Rockets. You know, and, and you had to unlock these teams. So I remember we would fucking, we'd be here screaming, like, trying to unlock your house even. at my house. And I remember one time I was about to unlock... Like I think I was battling a lot like the the eighty Celtics, and my little brother came and turned off the the PlayStation. Oh God! And I power was off button. He hit me with the power off button. He was like three years old, maybe, and he was just like, "I want to play my game," and I was I was so mad. But I you know you can't you can't blame him. He was only three, but you know I remember that, and that fueled the love for basketball I already had because I got to play with these teams that I'd heard about, that I'd heard my my dad and my grandparents talk about and I got to kind of visualize what it would be like if you know I was watching the Rockets play the Knicks or if I was watching the you know 
watching Shaq and, Shaq and Patrick Ewing go at it. And because of that game, I began to fall in love with the old school big man. And it's just, I mean, that, that, it's weird to say a game changed your life, but that game changed my life in a way. Yeah, I mean, I think... 2K12 was one uh, actually with um, another guy we're going to have on the show and part of production, Sammy D, that we just probably the out of all the basketball games I played, I think 2K12 was the one that resonates with me the most. Yeah. And it's for that very reason. And I think what was cool is that, you know, we'd always heard about the big stars of the, of the old generation. But that game let us, you know, as young kids, like, you know, you, especially when you were unlocking them, you put me on as so many different players, like... Dick Barnett or Sweet Lou Hudson or um, Derek Harper or yeah. Vernon Maxwell. Like these guys, the, like the nearly star, well, Lou Hudson was a star, but like the near star role players that were on these relevant teams for so long that no one just talks about anymore. Yeah, and even like, even if you look at, because like you, you said you've been watching like as much old basketball as you can, you know, and you look at players like, you look at teams like the 70s Knicks teams. Yeah, perfect and, segue. We're going to get to that next. And you think of, you think of Walt Frazier, but then you don't think of Dave DeBusher. Dave DeBusher. You don't think of, you know, Dick Barnett. You don't think of even Phil Jackson, honestly. You don't think of, you know, players that don't forget were... about the best one of them all, Willis Reed. Willis, exactly. You yeah. know, like you don't think of these players, and you know, you think of two of them maybe, and you know, and you know they're great, and you know they should be respected, but you don't know why they should be respected, and. Unfortunately, Walt Frazier has, has, has stayed around basketball and stayed around the Knicks he's, for his entire he's, career. He's Mr. Knicks. I mean, him, him and Mike Breen, I, I mean, I can go, I can argue this all day. They're the best commentating duo ever. And if people, like, don't, and if people don't know, Mike Breen is not just the ESPN like, lead commentator of the NBA. No. He's been working for the Knicks as their play-by-play guy on MSG for years. Except when he does ESPN games, they have um, Marv Alberts. Is, yeah. it, is it his son? Yeah. That, or is it, yeah, that, that takes over for him. But, yeah, I mean, that's, one, that's part of the reason why, like, you know, I don't watch Knicks games right now, and even though I've always been a big Knicks sympathizer, as I said in yeah. my first episode. But, man, when the season comes back, like, I may just watch him just for Mike Green and Walt Frazier. Like, in the beginning, before they – hopefully, yeah. I want to say – I don't want to say before they start sucking because – I mean, it's I don't know happen. if they will, but – No, they will. Look, right now, the Knicks philosophy right now is just take it a day at a time. And there's no, we're making the playoffs next year. There's no, we're making the playoffs in three years. There's none of that shit. It's just, we're taking it day at a time. We're rebuilding. You know, Tom Thibodeau, they, he had his press conference yesterday, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was yesterday morning. He had his press conference and he said, I, I got to speak to all the players. I got to figure out how we can, how we can practice, whether it's like virtual training or whatever, you know, and we're not promising anything. We're just focusing on every day as it goes. And I want to go back to, so like we're talking about the Knicks right now and it's all this, yeah. you know, doubt and all this, you know, questionable stuff. But I'm looking, obviously I posted on uh, Twitter and on Instagram that I'm doing, you know, it kind of sucks because that's what part of the reason why I didn't want the GSL to start is that it's taken a lot of my time. I was really enjoying over quarantine getting to learn more about the old game and I've found yeah. out so many things and so many things that make me so angry about one the media and how they talk about certain things and two how misguided and how stupid sorry to be mean 
some of the young fans, like our generation is about basketball. Like oh, definitely. when you talk about all time, like LeBron, Kobe is the GOAT, like you need to understand who you are comparing these people to. Like you need to understand yeah. what they did and not just not just looking at their Wikipedia and fucking basketball reference stat lines. I'm telling you, seeing greatness is totally different from hearing about greatness. Yeah. And I'm watching these, so I started with the 60s because, um, see, when you guys say like, I, one, one of the main stereotypes, let's start it out. One of the main misconceptions I always hear is Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain had those crazy stats because they played against a bunch of white dudes. Now, those clips that you're seeing of white dudes running around, that's the 50s. Yeah. When Bill Russell was one of the first black superstars in the beginning when he played a couple years in the 50s, sure. But the whole 60s is not too crazy in terms no, of definitely. in terms of like the play like looking at a, a screen of a game is not too different from the current NBA. You know, I can name so many stars off the top of my head just now that I know that if anyone tries to tell me like they were weak, like you also have to realize people say like of course it's there's so many people trying out to make yeah. the NBA these days. There were only eight, nine, ten teams. So there's only like 150 spots in pro basketball as it is back then. So it's harder to make the NBA. It's very yeah, limited. You know, my, my grandpa grew up in, in Pennsylvania, where like around where Wilt Chamberlain played high school, high school ball. And you know, he said that people would flock from wherever they could to come see this guy play because they knew he was fucking incredible. And so you have this guy playing, this, this giant playing against just a bunch of guys in Pennsylvania. And then he goes into the league, and obviously in like the 50s and early 60s... There wasn't too many guys that could match up. There weren't too many guys that could match up. But even today, how many people are matching up with a 7'2 guy with a 50-inch vert that could bench press 500 pounds and couldn't, wasn't even allowed to overpower people like Shaq? You know, like I don't know if you've, I've shown you this clip, but there's a reason why he does that little dip shot in Korea's yeah. sky because you couldn't back people down with like force, like go body nah. to body with them. So I thought that's all Wilt did. I literally thought nah. all he did was back people down, overpower them and dunk. That's all I thought he did, but that's not what he did. The interesting thing is, is you watch, like when you take Shaq, for example, Shaq had power and finesse. Wilt and Bill Russell and Kareem, they operated solely on finesse. They couldn't, they couldn't overpower people. And if, if you put Will Chamberlain in today's game, top five player in the league, guaranteed, maybe the best player in the league. I don't think there's anyone that could stop someone that powerful, someone that's skillful, someone that intelligent on the court. There's nobody that could stop him. Yeah. You know, he was a genius on the block. He knew how to operate and he knew how to score. He knew how to pass. He knew how to rebound. The, the fact is, is nobody rebounds like, like him and Bill Russell do. No one's grabbing 25 boards in a game. I mean, didn't like Dwight Howard do it like 10 years ago or something? He averaged like... 13 and 14, and... Yeah, no, like, and... He averaged, like, 13, 14. Yeah. You know, but, like... The know. pace was... The reason why the numbers are like that, guys, just to inform you guys, is because of the pace. We have a very high-paced game right now, but it's not as fast as the 60s. The 60s no. used to come out and just, just chuck. Like, I don't want to say chuck like they were just throwing up stupid shots, but, like, they used to come up and shoot, a, like, very uh, quickly. They were gunning. I mean, the game was... It was, it was fast. It was really, really fast. And that's why the stats look like that. But, um... Yeah, I think, you know, and it goes to a lot of things is that people think that the game has gotten, that, another big misconception, the game has gotten so much better. The game is at its height and its popularity, 100%. But the yeah. game itself is a subjective opinion. The game has completely changed. Doesn't mean it's for the better. Yeah. People can shoot better, like long distance for sure, and better handles because that is what we are teaching. We are moving yeah. further away from the basket. That is the way the game is going. But these players also lack a lot of skills that I'm seeing from those guys. Oh, a definitely. Lot. And I'm looking at these Knicks teams of the 70s, the early 70s. Dude, they were amazing on both ends of the court. And 
and people think like because another thing, people not dribbling with their left hand, people not hitting crossovers like that. Once again, it's because of the rules. You had to have your hand over the ball at all times. You couldn't do that shit that Iverson's doing or that like so many literally like the way we dribble today now, all that yeah. they're carrying back then. It's interesting because like if you if you watch if you look at like um like Instagram trainers and stuff like that, like like Devin in the lab is a good example. And they're teaching people like that like misconceptions about dribbling. And one of them I heard was that you're supposed to dribble with your fingertips. And it's like, no, you're supposed to dribble with your palms. And No, it always has been fingertips though, isn't it? Not anymore. Now well, now coaches But even when back then you wouldn't be dribbling with your palms. No, not no, you? not like not like not like with like this. Yeah. But like you know, you're supposed hand, to have the ball. Hand over the ball. Hand over the ball. Yeah, none of this know? side stuff, none of this wide crosses. You're, you're supposed to, and you're supposed to be dri- dribbling with, like, the tips of your fingers, you yeah. know? And now it's more relying on your whole hand. Whole hand, exactly. That's and, a better way to put and it. And that wasn't, that wasn't a thing. That wasn't yeah. even allowed, I don't think. That was considered palming, no? Yeah, exactly. You know, so, so now the, the way the game is being taught is so different than was being taught even 20 years ago. And, you know, we were talking the other day about how, imagine if, Kenny Smith was shooting threes at a um, higher clip. At right a higher now. clip, you know. Imagine if you know anyone really was shooting threes at a higher clip. The game would be completely different. And it's a really new thing that, like, now the mid range is obsolete. But when we were growing up watching basketball, mid range was still a thing. I mean, Kobe, Melo, Rip Hamilton, um, Chris Paul's great everyone. In the mid-range. Everyone, you know, like was you know they'd hit a jab, you know, drive by, maybe take a screen. And Papa, whatever, fifteen footer, and now that was such an that was such an integral part of the game for so long. Probably from like, I would say probably from nineteen eighty until two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen. The mid range game was so such an important part of of basketball, and now it's just completely off. Now mid range shot is considered a bad shot. I, I hate that because in my opinion, the bad shots are the ones that people used to take like right in front of the three or like 18 yeah. footers. Like that might as well just be a three. But a mid range 12 to 18 footer yeah. is a shot that those older players mastered so well. And it's a shot that you can even hit contested. And yeah. that's why it's effective. That's what people don't understand. Contested three, I don't give a shit if it's Kobe. That is a, not a high percentage shot, that's no matter how shot. you look at it. You know, what was interesting is, is that is that when, when, um, Damian Lillard game the series against uh, against the Thunder and Paul George was like oh that's a bad shot that's a bad shot there are very 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 few people in the world where that is not a bad shot for and Damian Lillard is one of them yeah and Damian, Damian Lillard's Lillard is also one of the in terms of range one of yeah. the best shooters there, ever seen. There, are, there are probably I don't know three people in the world where that shot is not a bad shot it's Damian Lillard Steph Curry and maybe Trey Young yeah you know Fairly and, accurate. And, and KD, now, I don't know about KD. the sidestep, but just pulling from there, yeah. KD even. But you have you have kids watching the game, and they think that that's a good fucking shot. They think pulling up from 35, 40 feet out is, is a good shot. You know, you had LaMelo in high school pointing at the half-court line and pulling up. And it's like, you know, you think that you think that that's a quality shot, and, and it's not. And it's not a shot that – that's a shot that – in any other in any other league in any other era, that that's a shot that gets you fucking benched. Yeah, facts. immediately, hundred percent. And it, I hate the when people try to use this. Oh, if you put Steph Curry in this time, this and that. Like, first of all, he wouldn't play the same way. Secondly, he would dribble, have to dribble exactly like all the players back then. Like Walt. First of all, Walt Frazier has a handle. Like people don't understand ball handling used to be about 
keeping the ball. Don't yeah. let anyone take your rock, the rock from you. And I'm seeing Walt Frazier come up the court, hitting behind the backs. That shit is on a string. Well, see, see, now, now more and more as the game kind of evolves, it's more about you know dipping into the bag. It's fancy. Fancy. That's what that's me and my friend Will we have. We're gonna have on the podcast at some point. We always talk about this. Is that fancy has been perceived to be better? Yeah. And like all the, like we're encouraging the James Harden, the tween cross, do 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 at the top of the key. Yeah. When it's like you're one exerting more energy. Like there's a reason why basketball drills they do that two dribble, three dribble. Yeah. It's because it's effective. And back in the day when there wasn't all this spacing, that's another thing I noticed about the old game guys is. Every like points are just so much harder to come by back then because it's congested. Yeah. There's no spacing. There's traditional power forwards, and you know what's funny is that you talk about when we were kids, bro. This has only just happened like the last five years. Yeah, definitely. Like I was watching the 2013 finals a couple weeks ago or like a couple months ago, and they weren't shooting that many threes. Like it wasn't crazy. Nah. It was only after the Warriors and and once again, that's how basketball happens. Is you follow the models of teams that came before you. Yeah. You know, like we follow the models now. You look, and this is when I say it's really not that hard to adapt. Look at Brooke Lopez. I use him as a perfect example. Brooke, Brooke Lopez, Lopez was a great post-up player, a solid first first time, you know, uh, mid-range, one of the best centers in basketball. And now, as he's gotten older, he's lost a step. He's reinvented himself as a guy that it's pulling from fucking thirty. Yeah. Now, I'm not trying to discredit Brooke Lopez because that's good. I mean, that sh- clearly shows he's worked on his game. Yeah. But it's not that difficult to expand your range like that. Like, if you think Carl Malone and Kevin Garnett, who were cash from eighteen, they weren't asked to start shooting threes, they wouldn't start pulling, like. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, is that like, like uh, in, in the press conference, Thibodeau was asked about that because his his offense, you know, if you look at like the Bulls' offenses, they don't they don't have you know fives at at the three point line, you know they, you know he kind of his offense is kind of modeled after like Tex Winters, you know so so you you don't have center shooting threes, you don't have power forward shooting threes, and he was asked like how how that's gonna work. How his offense is going to work within the new league, and he said, "You know, we'll have to make some adaptions, uh, adaptations, but my offense works, and I'm not going to change it." And there's this misconception that you need to shoot threes to win. And there's this, you know, you look at. I think some of the best teams of all time are Greg Popovich's champion championship teams, and those teams aren't shooting threes at a high clip. You don't have Manu Ginobili's not pulling up from three all the time. Tony Parker rarely ever shot threes, and he was you know, cash. Like and he, he was cash. Oh, he yeah. got so much better at shooting as his career went you on. Know, his mid range. I mean, you could not go onto the screen anymore with that guy. I mean, the, the interesting thing was is that like, you know, you look at Tony Parker could hit threes. Tony Parker yeah. could score whenever, wherever, however he wanted. Same with Manu Ginobili, you know. And but then you had players like Danny Green, who you have on the floor because he can hit threes, and that works within the system, and. He's won championships with that system. And he never, he doesn't change his system. He doesn't do anything. He knows what works and he sticks to it. And there's something that a lot of coaches are kind of doing now, especially younger and younger. They're saying, all right, let's play further and further from the basket. You know, we're going to have play five around the perimeter, four around the perimeter, one in the key. And that kind of ruins the game in a way, for me at least. And, and this, that, when you say for me at least, that's exactly what I mean. It goes back to preference. Yeah. You know, like, that's what I'm saying. These players, like, the players gotten way better at basketball in the last five years than we started growing up as kids. Like, yeah. no. You think so? Well, like, like high school players? Or like, some of the players in the league. Like, I don't think they've gotten I, I better. Think... Like, I mean, it's the same. Like, there's a lot of stars in the NBA today, but are you, are you telling me there wasn't a lot of stars in the NBA eight years ago? Like, there was. No, definitely. I, I think that players are becoming more versatile. 
but I think that versatility is also the players becoming more versatile creates more holes in their game. Well, because I mean, what's, what kind of versatility? These players are able to do more. Players are able to shoot more. They're able to kind of, you know, have more finesse with the ball. But if you look at older teams, pretty much prior to, prior to the Warriors, pretty much any older team, players knew their role on a team. Yeah, I was going to say that. Any championship team, you didn't have fucking, you know, Bill, what, Bill Wennington. You know, he, he's not there to, you know, get buckets. Yeah. You know, he's not there to, you know show off and, you know, flex some handles or shoot some threes. He's there because they need a body there to defend, to rebound, and to maybe score. And that's why I think the the evolution of role players has changed a lot. Now, here's the thing, is that because of the Michael Jordans, the LeBrons, the big stars, no one wants to be a role player. Nobody wants to be George Hill. Nobody wants to be Steve Kerr, all these guys. They want to be the star. And that's why I say I think everyone's game is predicated on like trying to get their own now. Yeah. And it, like the old role of role players was rebound, toughness, defense. Like, like look, let's look at Dennis Rodman for an example. He would get a lot of rebounds today, but he would like, if you can't really do much offensively, you're, you're considered a liability in today's game. Does that make Dennis Rodman like worse than players in the NBA? Absolutely not. It's just what is needed for the time. But if you look at like the championship Lakers teams, um, like the, the 2010 Lakers, um, you had like Lamar Odom, Shannon Brown, for instance. You have these players that come in, they get you, you know, Shannon Brown gets you 12 points off the bench and he, he serves a purpose to do a little bit of scoring and to be exciting. Shannon Brown would come in, he'd hit some three, he'd, he'd bang out on a fast break, get the crowd jumping, get the players hyped, and, and then you throw everyone back in, you throw Kobe back in, or you know, and, and now you have the momentum in your favor. And Shannon Brown's not there, Shannon Brown's not like, alright, I'm going to show off my bag, I'm going to come out here, you know, I'm going to cross some fools up. He was like, I'm going to come out here and do what I'm supposed to do. And players more and more, and if you watch like high school basketball, you know, Players more and more coming out and showing off that they're good. And that's not the purpose. That's not what wins rings. And you look at players like, you know, you look at players like Jimmy Butler, for instance. Jimmy Butler's not going to win a championship the way he plays. Jimmy Butler knows he's a good player. He's a fantastic player. But he wants to show you that he's a good player. He wants to, he plays like he... I will say he does play, he does play winning basketball, though. He plays winning basketball. But he doesn't play, he doesn't play championship basketball. Well, do you think, I mean, I, I think the problem with him is... He's not the best player on a championship team, but he thinks he is. Exactly. Yeah. And that, a lot of players have that mentality where they want to be the best player on a championship team. Yeah, I think a lot of people, I think a lot, one of the big flaws in players today, I've noticed compared to the old, is a lot of them have a really false perception of who they are. Definitely. Like, I understand, I understand, you know, you have big goals for yourself, but like, the players back in the day, they just, they just got it. Like, I don't understand how to even yeah. describe it. Like, they just got it. Like, they're smarter. Like, they're really good at finishing around the basket. Like, post-game is a, like, people want to talk about more skilled. As, to, as far as big men, they have no... Like, I don't think shooting jumpers when you're seven feet just is that cool. Like to, The whole point of having big men that could shoot was because they're so big and good around the yeah. rim, then you extend it so that they're unguardable, a la Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah. You are not just shooting when you have no post game. Like doesn't make any sense. That's I, just spreading the floor. I, I think like the last genuine big man we had in the league was probably Andrew Bynum. Yeah, he was fantastic. And I, I did, it was amazing. Before Andrew Before Biden like, declined and you know started fucking bowling, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, 2012, he was unreal. He was un- unstoppable. For our generation, For, as far as me. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to... If you remember, like, 
like, because everyone's like, oh, Dwight Howard's the best best center in the league. Dwight Howard's fucking dog shit. <laughs> Dwight Howard couldn't do, he couldn't dribble, he couldn't post up, he couldn't do, and, he, the second he turned his back to the basket, uh, he, and, was, and, he was gonna and, fuck up. And that's why he kind of, like, as his athleticism has gone down, he hasn't been, he hasn't been able to, like, you know, carry over that game. And Brooke Lopez, which you brought up, Brooke Lopez was another example of that where he could, you know, he turned his back to the basket, he could take you. He faced you up, he could take you. He could pop that 15, 14 foot. Yeah, he had, he had a nice little know. blend. And, and then, you know, now he started to slowly extend his game. And then as he got older and he started being able to, like, maybe take these young guys a little less, now he can expand his game a little farther out. But then he can also, you also throw him the ball in the post, and he knows what to do. And a lot of players now, they get the ball in the post, but they don't know what to do. Not at all. I saw Zubats get the ball, and he's honestly... Which is crazy, better than a lot in the league. He hits a jump hook here and there, but I saw him yesterday had a switch, and it was just like embarrassing. My my favorite role player, probably of like of our generation, is Tyson Chandler. Tyson Chandler always. He's not knows, much of a scorer though, Tyson Chandler. No, he's not. He's a he's in my eyes, he's the perfect role player. Facts, and he was even in like a borderline all star. Yeah, but he knew his role, like on the Knicks, for instance. Yeah. One of one of the things I always loved about him was he knew that he had to get his hand on the ball. Tip it out. Oh my god! And at times he would just tip the ball to half yeah, court. He'd fucking just slap the shit, and it's like it's like grab the rebound and get the you know get the stat or whatever you know like. But he didn't care about that. He didn't care about having good stats. He didn't care about doing any of that shit. He knew that his job was to keep possessions live, and to play defense. And he did that incredibly. And successful teams, you have you look at successful teams, and you have players like that. Even the Heat teams, where you had players like Mike Miller, Norris Cole, Mario Chalmers. They knew their roles were to spread the fuck out and wait for LeBron to give you the ball and play defense. Yep. And that worked, and those teams won championships. Yeah, and I just, I just think when you look at the evolution of the game, the basketball started a lot more fundamental, started a lot more team-oriented, and as we had these individual talents, it's become more ISO, and now it's, it's evolved into we don't even have – we just have pick-and-rolls into ISOs now. It's all pick-and-roll. It's not – you don't see, you rarely see people like mono mono small forward versus small forward, center versus center, point guard versus point guard, yeah. taking each other off the dribble. Like, it's now, it's, after you get my screen, how do they react and read and react to the pick and roll? Because the, the NBA, the rules have made it so that defense is nearly, like, impossible to play against some of these guys facing up without hand checking. Like, the pick and roll, once you get that jumper and you got a little handle yeah. that could, like, get by people, at that point, you're, you've become unguardable in today's today's league. There were minimal people like that. I mean, you had, in the 90s, you had, like, Nick the Quick. You had, uh, you had Ray for Alston. You had Stephon Marbury, Allen Iverson. That could dip into a bag and kind of show you, bring street ball to the NBA. And those are the big guys that changed it, too. Like, Iverson and Juan, like, these type of guys. And... And if you you should watch the you should watch the Stephon Marbury documentary, A Kid from Coney Island, it's fantastic. And you realize that he he brought a different take to the game, similar to how like like we said how Iverson did. And now that's how everyone's playing. And I think about how I think about if you put Stephon Marbury in today's game, he would like it a lot more. Oh, he he'd be he'd be one of the he'd be probably a top three guard in the league. I think. He could shoot. I mean, there's a lot of good guards in today's NBA, but I feel what you're saying. But I think that because I think the game's tailored now more towards his game. I mean, the game is just tailored to guards now. Yeah. Back in the day, one, you have hand checking. Two, you, the dribbling rules hadn't loosened up till around mid-80s. And then later in the mid-90s when you could really do wide yeah. crossovers. Iverson goes, you know when people used to say, like, 
is that a cross? Is that a carry? What Iverson's doing? I understand now. It's not a carry in today's rules, but back then it was. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's a that's a big thing. As the and you know when I'm I'm seeing now the late '60s, you got a lot more players that are do, good with the rock behind the back and doing things, crossing over more. So, the the misconceptions that you guys get about the past, it's you guys got to really do your research and look at it because you're getting fed a line of bullshit from the media and from a lot of people. The game has changed aesthetically more so than athletically. And all these different things that people say. You also gotta understand that 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 the NBA is is a huge commercial business, and the NBA is being marketed more as entertainment now. Exactly, and, and they want people wanted to see. So, like, like look at people want to say. You know, another example people like to use for the NBA has gotten better is they're scoring 120 points now. Here in that, you understand. In like 15 years ago, I was watching uh, the 04 finals actually, yeah. and a couple weeks ago, and. The basketball was unbelievable, but it was yeah. just great defense. They were allowed to be more physical. Like you saw last night's game, it was just fouls every five seconds. Like it's so unbearable sometimes. I feel like an old man now watching these games. But um, yeah, you're not allowed to do the same type of things. And that's not, those players in the 04 finals are not any worse. No. It's just like, for example, you don't have a guys that can stretch, like you don't have centers that are sp spacing the floor. But how many centers are doing Ben Wallace things today? No. As good as he is. The thing is, is if, if you look at, if you put the Warriors against that, if you put the Warriors in 04 against that Pistons team. With those rules or with with, with, with those rules? Oh yeah, that's not fucked. That's not pretty. They get fucked. I mean I mean you have players like Rip Hamilton, Chauncey Billups, Tayshawn Prince. They would bully you. And Rasheed Wallace, Ben Wallace, you were getting fucking bullied. And, I and that's not a thing that happens anymore. You don't have, you know, you have more people kind of complaining about calls. As ever before, I've noticed that at big time going watching. They don't, never bitch. They never bitch about it. That was that was one of the things that I always hated about Chris Paul. Yeah. Was Chris Paul would someone would touch him, he'd be like, "What the fuck? Like I got touched? Like not suck it up? Like be a fucking get the fuck up and play? You know? And you know if you in any era prior to like I think what the hand checking rule was oh four right after the oh four five you're talking about? You know? You look at how Dwayne Wade fucking took off after that. And and he if if he didn't hurt his knee, I mean Dwayne Wade would have been. I mean he. Is, I still consider him one of the greatest. Yeah, he is. But I mean, Dwayne Wade would have been unfucking believable, you know, because he he could he was so quick, he was so versatile, and he knew his role. And once again, th that's another great product of the environment type of thing. There's a reason why Dwayne Wade was so good and didn't shoot threes like that. There's a reason. That's not the way it was back then. It doesn't make him any worse. If anything, it makes him more. I think he has more, much more diversity than a lot of stars. For example, like James Harden, like he's great and all, but like I feel like it's become so predictable. Like just it's either the three step back at the top yeah. or he drives for a little floater, like goes to the rim. Like D Wade had in between. He had post game. He, you know, he was great on the drive. He had so many different aspects to his game. So now to end it off, we've talked a lot about the old Knicks and some great teams. Give me your all time Knicks starting five. My all time Knicks starting five. Um, that's tough. Alright, so at the one, at the one, it's obviously Paul Frazier. Yep, I'd agree with that. Um, and this one's a little harder. Two, um, probably Earl the Pearl. Yeah, I was gonna probably say. I was gonna say. I can't, honestly, that's another thing I found out, because like right now I'm on like 70. I don't know how much I'm gonna keep continuing as of the GSL starting, but I'm gonna try. Uh, he was on the championship team uh, that's runner-up for the championship, yeah. 1971 Baltimore Bullets against Kareem yeah. and the Bucks, And then he went to the Knicks, who were already amazing. Like, I couldn't believe I was like, what yeah. the hell? Like, this shit's crazy. But continue. Earl of Pearl. Um, this is a bit of a stretch because he's more of a four. 
but I'm taking Bernard King. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I'll take that. You know, I'll take that. Yeah, I gotta have. In today's NBA, he'd be a three. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Oh wait, maybe not. He'd probably be a four. He'd be, yeah, he'd be a stretch four. Yeah. But I'm putting Bernard King at the three. Okay, just, I'll just, take that. I can't, I can't leave him out. Yeah. And then at the four and five is obviously Pat Willis. Yeah. Like you know. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You know, I also think that something that's that's a little, well slept on is is. I think Patrick Ewing is slept on yeah. in today's game. Those Knicks teams, I mean, so many years they were so close, you know. One of those best teams that never won a championship yeah. that don't get talked about enough. Just like the, like the Phoenix Suns. I, I take, I'll take the Knicks over the Suns all day. Oh, are you talking about the 90s Suns? You're talking about the... Oh, I was talking about the... I think talking about seven seconds or less. I was like, I, the team just, to no. me, was never going to... And they were the start of the spacing when they had Boris Dio at the five and yeah. constantly spacing the floor for Nash. And this is a perfect example of how hand-checking taking out changed the game for guards. Yeah. You know what the first year that Steve Nash won MVP was? The first year after hand-checking. So, and I'm going to end it with this. Since I res I'm going to ask this to certain people that I know and respect their opinion on history of basketball, who are your top five players... Of all time. Top five of all time. Um, you don't have to do order, but if you want, you can. Hmm. Jordan, Magic, Kareem, Bird, and Russell. No LeBron, no Kobe. Hmm. I'm sticking with that five. I, I, I love Kobe. I think Kobe's a phenomenal player. I think he was... Probably the most iconic player of our generation. That's my five. I think I can't. Bill Russell was was too iconic. I don't. I don't. You don't. To me, you don't even have to defend yourself with that one for me because I've been watching a lot of like his stuff, and I don't think there's anyone that understands team dynamics like he did ever. He's unbelievable. So I I respect that pick. The one uh, I would say the all of the four you got guys you named I have in my top five. The one that I would say is not controversial, but I'm interested is. Put Larry over them. Larry I Bird, love Mr. Larry, though. But. Larry Bird is, I think, by our generation, probably the most overlooked player. Most No, mo not even overlooked. Disrespected uh, because of lack of knowledge. And it's sick. It's sickening how bad Larry it is. Larry Bird was a fucking bucket. There was nothing. He was lockups. He was a bucket. He could score. He could rebound. He could do everything. And, 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 and the, the, the issue I have with people that, that leave out Larry in that conversation, is Larry and Magic are like right there. They are. It's, it, you can't say that Magic is better than Larry because Larry could pass just as well as Magic. I mean, you can say he's better, but you can't say it's like they're on different tiers. Yeah, but Larry could pass just as well as Magic? No, he could pass well. Nobody that's, in the history uh, yeah, of basketball can pass yeah, like him. You're, that's, that's fair, but I think Larry, Larry could For see, Larry could see the floor. You could make the argument. I, I, see, here's the thing. People want to automatically say it's LeBron, but I haven't seen enough Larry footage. And assists are not always the indicator of who's a good passer or not. No. A la Stephen Curry and Chauncey Billups, two very smart players, two great passers that don't have a lot of assists because that is not what their team needs. I would say, um, to go off your point, you could make an argument. I need to watch, but people say that Larry Bird is the best passer that's not a point guard to ever play. LeBron is in the same conversation. I think that the, the thing about Larry Bird, like you said, is that being a good passer isn't about getting assists. Being a good passer is about knowing where to put the ball in order to score. Uh, absolutely. And Larry Bird was a phenomenal passer. And I think Magic was, Magic was, uh, Magic is the best passer to ever step on the floor. And I think Larry's probably second or third. And um, that sounds pretty good. Before we end, do you want to let people know where they can find you? Or... I mean, I'm on, I'm on Instagram and stuff. I guess my name is Lucas Alex Lyon. 
uh, line with a Y. Um, yeah. So great episode, Lucas. I'm really glad you joined joined us. We talked about a lot of good things. Let me know what you guys think of this episode and what you guys want to see next. Peace. Thank you for having me.